As we roll into Thanksgiving, it's a good time to tell everyone that Sharp Football Analysis is the best place for fantasy analysis and betting information. You can choose from season-long, four-week, or weekly packages that best suit your needs. Use the code SHARP35 for 35% off any product site-wide at sharpfootballanalysis.com. Hello, welcome to the Sharp Angles podcast. I am Dan Pizzuta, joined here, Rich Rebar, and TA, our team over here at Sharp Football Analysis. Guys, here we are, week 12, uh, heading into Thanksgiving. Uh, how you guys doing? We're making it happen, man. You know, happy holidays to everybody there. Hopefully everyone's staying safe if they're traveling. This was the, this was the first week I think I started to feel the, the, the burn, you know, this week with no bye weeks, the holidays, family starting to be home. Uh, this is the first week, like the season is like, it's like, all right, we're in the, like, it's coming to an end. It's been going on a long time now. Yeah. And I mean, <laughs> I was hoping to get three uh, Thanksgiving day games. Obviously we're down to two now, but uh, I was commenting before the show about how just looking at my Twitter timeline, just the the scroll of guys that are out because of COVID or on the reserve list or out because of injury or not practicing. You, you just, I have no idea who's going to play this week. So, I mean, that's the the caveat with doing this uh, early and then, you know, just so much uncertainty out there. But, uh, but look, we got football. There's a crazy world going on out there right now. So as long as football is going to be played, I think, uh, you know, we can, we can enjoy ourselves a little bit, but uh, looking forward to uh, my Turkey and all the sides tomorrow. So, uh, but it's going to be forward to the weekend. Too. It's going to be interesting to see what happens with this, you know, obviously the Thursday game, it's a primetime game. So it's you got notoriety that's moved, but uh, when this happens in the playoffs, man, or if it does to see what happens or if they just don't tell us. <laughs> I think you got to have a bubble. I think they're going to have a bubble in the playoffs. I think there's no other way to do it. If, if things keep trending the way they are in the country, I, I don't think there's any way you can, can risk this because there's just too much on the line. Um, and look, it's, it could be a short-term bubble for a team. It could be one week. So it's not really the end of the world. If you make it all the Super Bowl and it's, you know, what, four or five weeks, it's, it's not really that much. It's not the end of the world. So I think they're going to end up doing something like that because there's just too, there's too much uncertainty going on right now. Um, and so it's, it just makes it difficult to fill a roster uh, in some, some respect. Yeah. And I think we'll, we'll kind of see that it kind of seems like what the NFL is doing is as long as there's not, you know, an active outbreak that are probably going to play the games. And I think that's, you know, the difference between this, this Baltimore Pittsburgh game and like something like what the 49ers had, you know, a couple of weeks ago when they were really, decimated by players being placed on the COVID list, but there wasn't really an active outbreak. There were a lot of guys that were close contacts um, and it wasn't something that was actively spread through the building. So while they did lose a lot of players, it, it wasn't something that they really had a fear of spreading. I think for this Baltimore game of why that's that got moved is because we, we still don't know whether that outbreak is done or not. And I think the last thing the NFL wanted to do was have a lot of players out there on Thursday night and then come back with a lot of tests coming in positive on Friday morning. Um, and having all of those players having played. So we don't know where the outbreak currently is in Baltimore. So I think because they still have players testing positive, um, they're just not sure where they are in that stage. Um, and it's not as contained as some other teams that have played in the past. So I think that's, that's why we're getting that game moved now to Sunday afternoon at 1.15 
on NBC. I have no idea how I'm going to watch that with my setup uh, between having, you know, Red Zone and, and some Sunday ticket stuff. I'm sure that's going to be whacked out on Sunday ticket and I'm not going to have it on the big TV because that's usually where Red Zone is. Uh, that is, you and know, the Giants. Uh, that's where the Giants a- are. Don't tell us <laughs> Red Zone's on there. <laughs> Yeah, they're they're usually on like a, a very small iPad uh, somewhere else, um, and like kind of barely paying attention. But these are all first world problems. Uh, you know, we we do uh, get football, of course. Uh, we do hope you guys are are, are staying safe while uh, you are either uh, hopefully you know not traveling. Uh, or not traveling very far in a very small group, uh, but hopefully everyone's staying safe while we do that. So while you're listening to this, you probably won't be hearing this before. Um, these Thursday games. So we'll, you know, barely touch on them. You know, you have, we have Houston and Detroit, uh, Washington and Dallas, uh, both the three point games right now uh, per uh, the DraftKings Sportsbook that I'm looking at. Uh, they're, you know, somewhat interesting, but uh, I, don't, I don't think we have to, you know, really dive into those. So if we, if we look at, at Sunday, I think there are some more interesting games on this slate. And like Rich mentioned, the, the first week in, in a while where there are no teams on by. And we have, you know, there's 16 games. Uh, we still have, you know, the you know, a full slate of, of Sunday games uh, because the, the two Thursday. Um, so uh, as we move on to Sunday, uh, what, are you, what are you guys looking at uh, for, for this week? Yeah, I guess I'll start. I mean, I think there's a couple really interesting matchups. Um, fun games, high total games that I think are, are going to be good. I mean, we obviously know the Kansas city Tampa game we could talk about um, that should be really interesting, especially coming off uh, what, what the Buccaneers did uh, on Monday night. But um, you know, I, I hit um, one of my first um, sides that I, that I hit this week was uh, the Falcons getting three and a half at home against the Raiders. And, you know, the Raiders are starting to get a lot of publicity and press and a lot of notoriety just because they're, you know, they've won some big games. They've beaten some good teams. They've beaten the, the, the Saints and the Chiefs the first time around. They beat the Browns. Um, and then obviously in a, in a primetime spot last week, they played really well. They're, they're leading the Chiefs for a big chunk of the game. And then obviously uh, Mahomes had that great drive at the end to, to win it. But um, they're getting a lot of respect in the market. And for them to go, you know, travel cross country, uh, one o'clock game in the East, East Coast or Eastern time, time zone um, to be laying three and a half against, you know, good offense in Atlanta. I mean, look, they struggled last week. We were talking about Saints defense, which is just playing out of its mind right now. And they lost Julio Jones early in that game. You know, that's a lot of points to lay. And I just thought it, it was an overreaction here. I, I would have guessed, you know, before the week, I would have guessed this line um, would have been more like one and a half to two. So getting over three points, I think is huge. I mean, you still got a Raiders team that um, is dead last in the NFL in points per drive allowed. Um, and that's, you know, while they are still in the top 17 in terms of takeaways, like they're actually, you know, getting some turnovers. So it's not like, um, you know, they're not getting any turnovers, they're not benefiting from that. So, um, you know, they're really struggling on the defensive side of the ball. And I know they've had a tough schedule, but, um, you know, even against some, some of the mediocre teams out there, they're, they're allowing a lot of points. Um, I mean, they allowed 30 points in week one against Carolina. Um, you know, they let the Patriots uh, get near 30 points. So uh, I just think uh, with Falcons here, um, too much offense to, to feel comfortable laying over a field goal against a Matt Ryan-led team here. I think this is a nice buy-low spot for, for Atlanta, and it's a little bit of a sell-high for the Raiders. Um, you know, these teams, when you, when you get a situation like this where kind of the, these upstarts, uh, teams that, that maybe um, have improved throughout the season – they get to a point where it's a different situation when you're the underdog, right? Where you're always 
kind of getting uh, getting a couple points and um, you know you can cover and, and not win. Now you're in a different situation where you're expected to not only win, you're supposed to win by margin, you know, win by over a field goal, and that's just tough to do. It's just a different spot. So um, I feel a lot better, obviously, if Julio ends up playing. You never know. Even if he does start, he can leave you know one play in. Um, but I just think uh, either way uh, should be enough offense for for Atlanta to uh, to cover this game. That's what I was going to hit on. Are you worried about this Julio thing? So you look at when Julio hasn't played, they've been, they've been horrendous. They've been awful. They're averaging 16 points per game in the four games that he's missed. They're played fewer than 40% of snaps. And they played some bad defenses in some of those games too. Uh, yeah, if you're concerned at all about that. And Ridley's also not 100% either. So I'm, I'm curious, yeah, if that is impacting at all. Or you're just trying to get ahead of Julio actually practicing at the end of the week and you know, being good to go uh, for Sunday. Yeah, I mean, obviously, the, <laughs> we'd love to get Julio in there. And he did play, you know, uh, the last couple of drives. Maybe it was uh, early. We fourth. got hurt again. He came back and got hurt. He yeah. re-injured himself. That's I, what I just that feel like it's going to be, you know, forever he's going to have some sort of limp. But um, just his presence out there will help. But, I mean, look, even uh, – I hate to say it, but even, you know, the Raiders' run defense is, is bottom three in the NFL in terms of efficiency. So, you know, uh, the Falcons couldn't do anything, even on the ground, to, to balance things out last week against the Saints who are just having a historically great, um, you know, run defensive year if you look at DVOA metrics. So, you know, at worst, even if, if Julio doesn't play or is limited, maybe you can take some pressure off the, the passing game by, by being able to run it a little bit with Curly. Not that he's been great, but, um, you know, at least you have that. And they, they really struggled protecting Matt Ryan last week. I mean, the Saints were all over uh, that backfield. So, um, you know, not going to face that same, nearly that same pressure from a Raiders team that doesn't really get much pressure. So um, yeah, it'd be great to have Julio. And if he's in there, if he's announced in, you know, maybe that line drops to three or two and a half, but um, either way, I still feel good enough with Ridley and, um, and Hurst and some of those weapons that, that, you know, Atlanta should be able to score enough to, uh, to keep this game close. Yeah. It's interesting with the Raiders because they haven't been very good in the past. And it's been, you know, a hit and miss. I think right now they're, they're 18th in, in DVOA against the pass. So they've kind of started to figure some things out. There have been some corners that, that have flashed a little bit. You know, we'd expect more from Corey Littleton, who uh, has really been up and down and really more down than up. You know, with the Rams, he was one of the best coverage linebackers in the league. That signing hasn't really uh, done it. Uh, Nick Kiewitowski, uh, we also kind of expected him to, to be able to kind of be that line backer duo and they haven't just really been able to do that but they've been you know okay against the pass like you said they're the 32nd uh, against the run uh, but that's not really a place where Atlanta has been able to you know take advantage of the, anything this year but when you look at the other side of the ball what what Vegas has been doing you know I, I think we kind of highlight what Derek Carr has done in his two games against the Chiefs but this offense has been really good even last year they were a top 10 offense in DVOA uh, they're a, that again this year and I, this is a really well-schemed you know, offense right now. And Derek Carr, when he's pushing the ball down the field, this offense can be great. But even when he's, you know, typical Derek Carr, this offense is still pretty good. Um, so that's, that would be my hesitation um, in this game, especially when, you know, Atlanta is 26 against the pass. Uh, and we're just kind of seeing, you know, uh, Darren Waller's being what we kind of expected Darren Waller to be. And they're, they're figuring out this wide receiver rotation. Obviously, you know, we kind of had, you know, especially me personally had higher ex- expectations for Henry Ruggs, but when he's on the field, they're still using him in different ways and, and Derek Carr's um, average depth of target is higher when Henry Ruggs is on the field they're finding ways to get Nelson Aguilar open I shared a clip uh, on Twitter I think last week of just some of the cool like really like whip routes they're using off jet motion on like third down so they're using ways to you know create openings um, 
you know, on the field. So I, I'm, I'm really impressed by what this Raiders offense has done. So, so this, this might be a shootout. Maybe this is, you know, somewhere where you take the over. Um, it could be it's something like that where neither defense really scares you and both offense could potentially be there. But like you said, the, the pass uh, rush for the Raiders uh, just isn't there. I think one thing when I was you know, looking at the, the Saints-Falcons game last week, um, the Saints had 11 quarterback hits and 11 passes defense. Like that was just an insane performance uh, by, by the Saints defense uh, last week. And Atlanta just had no answers. They're obviously not going to do that, um, you know, against Las Vegas. So it's something where it probably, you know, could be close. And I think these two offenses are easily the best two units in this game. Well, hey, do I have my Derek Carr uh, MVP ticket from from back in June, eighty five to one? Do you think that's got any shot at all, or is just am I just uh, wasting wasting my breath because Mahomes is gonna is gonna walk away with? It? <laughs> that's, I mean, I, the Raiders, I, I picked them in our wins pool, and I had them. Uh, you know, I did say on our pod, you know, that was kind of like my one kind of long shot sleeper to to represent the AFC. But their schedule was so difficult coming in, and I am I've been impressed by how they've kind of manage that and to win a couple of these games would be huge. I mean, they're going to be a feisty team in the playoffs and they are going to be, they are going to make the playoffs. I'm pretty, pretty sure of that. So, um, cause they hold the tiebreaker. I know with the Browns and, and some other teams. So, um, you know, I, I do like them. I think they're, like you said, their offense has been really good. I think Carr's been excellent. I think we, we owe maybe John Gruden a little bit of an apology cause he's uh, really, um, you know, done some good things there, but, uh, yeah, let's let's just hope they win by three, and Derek Carr has a big game, and I think we'll all win. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it's it sounds like an easy segue to go to the Saints, though, and what happened last weekend, and obviously their defense is really ramped up. It feels like that it's tr- every year, man. It feels like the first like you know six weeks of the season, their defense meanders its way through, and it was a problem all year, and then they just turn it on, and that talent comes together. They're just getting it's just it wasn't just this game. They've been good for like a month straight now. You know, it goes back to that Sunday night game. Uh, even before that, but, you know, obviously in, in prime time, they just nuke the Buccaneers in that game as well. So they've been hot. And they, like I said, they seem to do it uh, every year. They've allowed just one touchdown in 32 drives the past three weeks, uh, which is pretty, pretty crazy. Um, but on the other side, we've got this Taysom Hill thing, you know, and I, I think there was a wide range of outcomes for Taysom last week. And a lot of us probably didn't expect for them to just try to make him Drew Brees the first half. And I will say that they didn't score any touchdowns doing that either, uh, you know, for as promising as that was. Um, but then when they finally started to open it up and use him and use his legs a little bit, uh, they started to get into the box a little bit more and moving the football a little bit better. Uh, they did have a missed field goal in that span, but they didn't score a touchdown until the third quarter of that game, you know, contrary to probably some people believe that they just – went all the way down the field and just put this blitzkrieg offensively or Taysom Hill because he had uh, 10 yards for pass attempt. But as a passer, I think he was still better than what a lot of us thought, but he left a lot of plays in the field and he threw a pass right at a linebacker at one play. Uh, there was still a lot to, to be coaxed there. Uh, and he did this against a defense that was 31st in the NFL against the pass this year. Now he's going on the road in Denver and we've seen what Vic Fangio dialed up against Tua last week. So is this a spot where, as exciting as it was for Taysom Hill and the Saints a week ago, is this a spot they can go and let down, uh, you know, on the road in Denver? Well, I was going to ask Dan because we had the <laughs> we uh, talked about it on Twitter. You know, Dan last week asked, you know, what am I not seeing with this line, this three-and-a-half-point spread with Miami? And, you know, it was kind of, I, I kept saying, it's a little, little kind of, uh, it's an interesting line, and we saw what happened. I mean, at the end of the day, Miami was was kind of fooled us. Um, 
you know, in that they, they got a lot of uh, points off of turnovers and special teams. And if you don't get that, that really changes things. And look, give Vic Fangio a lot of credit. He's really good at designing schemes to um, kind of trick a uh, rookie quarterback. So I'm curious to see if he can do the same thing with Taysom Hill. The only difference here is if you do that against Taysom Hill, he could just take off and run. Right. And he can just run over you. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so maybe, maybe they just, they, they shift their game plan a little bit. This, I expect this to be a really low scoring game. I know some people really like the under 44 and a half because I don't see Denver scoring. Um, so unless you get some defensive turnovers, you know, they're not going to put up points. And so maybe you get kind of a, an ugly, you know, 16, 10, 16, 13, 20, 16 type game. Um, so maybe Denver can, can cover. I'm not touching either side just because uh, you just never know. Something, whatever, Denver at home just has this thing about them that they keep things interesting. Um, and I haven't even checked the weather, but you've got a dome team obviously going out, going outside, uh, probably cold. So um, one, of those thing, one of those games that's going to be a little bit under the radar. I'm not going to have much action on it, if any. Uh, but I want to see if, uh, if Tatesom Hill can, can reproduce what, what he did last week and at least do, you know, do good enough to, uh, to eke out a win. And look, I got, we got to give Champagne credit after what we saw with Teddy Bridgewater last year. And he just kept covering every game where, you know, a lot of big money was against them. And now we've seen week one, you know, first time with Taysom Hill, same thing. So, um, he, he's got, he does a really good job with his game plan. He knows what his quarterbacks can and can't do. And he schemes things really nice, you know, really nicely. And his defense keeps playing well. So um, I don't know, Dan, I don't know if you watched that, that uh, Tua and in, in Miami against, against Denver. I didn't watch any of that game. I, I had pretty much action on every other game, except for that one at four o'clock. So I didn't watch anything. Is there is anything come out of there? Was Tua just completely confused or what, you know, why did he get pulled? Was he, was he that bad? Yeah, it, it, so he wasn't great, and I obviously I, I had uh, I had some interest in that game, especially after bringing it up on the podcast the the first time I you know bring up a line, being like, "What am I not seeing?" and then being you know completely wrong about it. Um, so I think what what really went into I think we have to give credit a lot of credit to Vic Fangio, and and some of it was you know a lot of the hype we've been giving the Dolphins, and I, I am what probably uh, among NFL analysts one of the most guilty parties of this. I've really been hard on the uh, big on the Dolphins. Um, but I, I think what we saw in that game with the Dolphins specifically is Denver figuring out the, the two weaknesses that were able to be exploited um, against Miami. And one was the, the run defense. Denver had a, a real run heavy offense that they were able to do. It wasn't super, you know, successful on a down to down basis, but they w- were able to get just enough, you know, big runs at clips that kept them out of third and logs. And that's really where we've seen the Dolphins uh, were able to, you know, get those pressure looks. And it even happened on, on the first drive. Um, Denver was in, in third and long. Uh, the Dolphins had that all stand up uh, look. Uh, Denver had a call, a waste of time out on their first drive. They come back on the field. Uh, they give that same look and Drew Locke throws an interception. Um, so that's how the game started. But then, you know, Denver got back onto the ground. Um, they were able to have just enough success there that it kept them out of third and long for, for most of the game. Um, and that kind of limited some of what Miami was able to do and what they were really successful with the other way. And then on the other side of the ball, um, we saw this Miami offensive line that we kind of had some concerns about. The finally got exposed in this game. And a lot of it was just, you know, simple f- stunts off of, you know, four man pressures and the Miami offensive line just couldn't pick them up to, uh, I think Tua got sacked six times. And a lot of them was just uh, awesome stunts off four man pressures uh, and, and things like that. And that's, that's what we saw. And I think that's really part of um, 
what uh, what kind of de- derailed uh, a lot of uh, what Miami was able to do offensively. And it's going to be interesting to see what Vic Fangio is going to scheme up against Taysom Hill because, it, like you said, we give some credit to Sean Payton in that Saints game. Uh, per next-gen stats, Taysom Hill had the highest expected completion percentage of any quarterback uh, in week 11. So they were scheming him up some really open throws. And we kind of saw that even when he was on the move, you know, Michael Thomas w- was not covered when he was throwing to Michael Thomas. We finally had a game where Michael Thomas was targeted and we saw a bit of what Michael Thomas can be. You know, he was open. It was a lot of the slants. It was a lot of, you know, the intermediate crossing routes. Um, and those are the things that Michael Thomas is really good at. So uh, they got that involved, you know, so we, we saw Taysom Hill in, a place where he didn't really have to do that much. So I think we'll have to see Taysom Hill work a little more against this Broncos defense. Uh, that's going to uh, obviously and not be as giving as um, as the, the Falcons were. Um, and, and I think things aren't going to be schemed up. And I think we kind of saw when Taysom Hill had to, you know, throw it downfield a little more and he was pressed into more of that passing when he had to, I, it wasn't great. I mean, that, that, whatever that pass was to Emmanuel Sanders, um, where he had to like run back and, and field a punt. Like that's, that's just not going to work against another defense. Like if he tries to do that against the Broncos, that's easily intercepted. Like Rich said, there was uh, the pass that went straight to a linebacker. So th- there was a lot of luck involved. Um, it worked for what they did. Uh, what they did against Atlanta, I don't think is going to be sustainable probably for the rest of the season. And definitely not if they're thinking about Taysom Hill as, as a starter you know, going forward into 2021, I think we kind of saw that that that's probably not something that's going to be able to happen. So I think, uh, you know, Vic Fangio is going to have some answers for that. And look at the other side of the ball, right? That Saints defense is, is playing well. They're getting pressure right now. You know, Trey Hendrickson uh, is tied for the league lead in sacks, and he's probably like their number three pass rusher. Um, so they're, they're able to get pressure. That secondary is finally clicking with all that talent. And I think we've kind of overlooked this Broncos offense. It's 32nd in DVOA. They are a worse offense than the Jets by DVOA. I don't know how that's possible. I don't know when that happened. Uh, apparently, that was the case l- last week. Also, this is a terrible offense, um, and they were able to, you know, get by by running the ball last week. And they're just—they're not going to be able to do that uh, against the Saints uh, this week. So uh, I think there, there's a lot of factors at play. But I—I uh, I, like you said, the under might be, you know, that that place to hit because um, I, I don't see this this uh, Denver. Uh, offense being able to move the ball at, at all. Yeah, and I mean, with the DVOA, I mean, because a lot of it is situational and, and opponents. I mean, Denver, uh, for a number of weeks, caught up in the second half. They were getting just absolutely hammered um, against Atlanta and against the Chargers and against the Raiders. And, you know, they made a couple comebacks there. So I think that <laughs> so it doesn't look as bad in the box score. But when you, you know, you consider um, some of that garbage time, I think that's why the <laughs> DVOA ends up looking worse and worse, but uh, yeah, they're horrible. Um, but uh, sticking to that AFC West, because another um, team that I, that I just can't quit that um, I am taking again this week. And it's one of my favorite game it might be my favorite game of the week is uh, I'm getting the chargers five and a half uh, in Buffalo, two great, you know, two really good offenses who, you know, with quarterbacks with big arms that are going to take a bunch of deep shots, which we love. Um, and Anthony Lynn just, you know, Okay, so I, admittedly, I was on the Chargers last week. Um, we saw that the Jets were missing, you know, essentially their entire secondary, which isn't good to begin with. But, you know, they had a bunch of undrafted free agents roaming out there. And you saw what Keenan Allen did uh, to that secondary. 
they were cruising. I thought I was going to get a nice cover. And then, you know, here comes Joe Flacco with the back door. There's a fourth down call. I don't know if you guys saw They're around midfield. Um, they needed, they needed a score to cover the spread and cut the game to, I think the eight points and uh, Flacco on fourth down throws like a 20 yard fade against the sideline. Yeah. Mims catches it. And then they show the replay and he clearly bobbled it. Like, clearly bobbled it was not going to be a catch and I'm just sitting here screaming at my tv waiting for Anthony Lynn to throw the the challenge flag flag he does not do it and the Jets get the snap off and I knew right then that it was over I had no shot at covering because at that point that's uh you know I just know that gods are against me backing Anthony Lynn by over a touchdown (laughs) so uh, I mean they completely dominated that game and they couldn't cover but anyway the thing with Anthony Lynn and this team is they keep every game close doesn't matter what the spread is doesn't matter who's favored you know, they have no losses by more than eight points a season. Um, they only have two by more than five and a half points, which is what the spread is. So um, I like them here when they're getting points. The weather's supposed to be fine. It's 50 and sunny, you know, no no big winds or snow or anything in Buffalo. So it's not going to affect them from a, a weather perspective coming from L.A. Um, but, you know, we saw what Herbert's doing. He's just lighting things up. Keenan Allen's just uh, been incredible. His target share, I don't know, I'm sure Rich has got the numbers, but they're just through the roof. I mean, they've got to be number one in the NFL or right up there. Uh, but this defense is actually surprisingly, if you look at EPA per play, I mean, they've got the sixth best pass defense um, in the last five games. Um, and I think they're top 10 overall. They get supposedly Chris Harris uh, has a chance to come back um, off of IR. Uh, which would be great. Um, you know, they got Bosa back last week. We might get Austin Eckler back. That's just, just that would be kind of a bonus um, in my opinion. But I think at getting five and a half uh, against the Buffalo team, which again, they'll put up points. They'll chuck it around the, the field. Um, I think it's too many points at the, you know, at this rate when, you know, they don't stop really many teams. So this is kind of one of those where you, you back the chargers when you're getting over a field goal and, you know, do, do the opposite of what I did. Don't, don't back them when they're a big favorite. Um, but I, I think this could be a fun game. I, I just think this could be a shootout. I know that total opened up around 53, 54, and it's shot up a couple points right off the bat. So um, that looks to be one of maybe my favorite one o'clock game. Yeah. The chargers defense is interesting because they have peripheral stuff that looks good. Uh, they're, they're six in yards per pass attempt allowed, but, you know, they, they, they have one of the highest touchdown rates allowed in the league. You know, they're not particularly good against the run. Uh, but, yeah, you, you look at it, the, these games that they're playing, and it's uh, the Jets, the Dolphins, the Broncos, the Jaguars, and they're all, they've allowed 28 or more points in seven straight games. Uh, and you see some of these teams, they're allowing these points, and you're like, how are these teams getting there? Because uh, they do special teams. peripheral. <laughs> yeah, it's special teams and defensive stats. It's – because peripherally, they do look like a little bit better in defense than what their like just raw totals say. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's you got Buffalo coming off of this two weeks they've been sitting on this Hail Mary, the Hail Murray, uh, that loss. You know, they've just been sitting on this loss for two weeks, so they've been probably dying to come out and play again. Uh, I'm definitely looking forward to this game a lot, just because Herbert's playing so well. Uh, 20 touchdowns, four interceptions in his past seven games, uh, just ripping it up. And you're granted, like we said, some of those teams uh, are not the the most uh, the sexiest teams that he's been torching. You know, the Dolphins gave him a lot of troubles and threw some looks at him. The Bills did play a little bit better their past two games, but uh, yeah, I mean, this is two big arm quarterbacks pushing the ball downfield. I mean, this is exactly what we want. I would love for Eckler to come back. I mean, no running back had undershot their expected points uh, last week more than Kalen Ballage did. So I definitely would love a functional running back to take hold. I think when Eckler comes back too, he'll have a larger role than probably what he left just because everyone's been so kind of 
cattywampus, you know, uh, in that backfield, and no one's really been able to turn on any consistency. So just getting Eckler back can make this offense even better because it's going to take those guys off the field. Um, so definitely looking forward to him coming back. Uh, this Bills team is, is pretty fun. I mean, hopefully get back to doing some of the fun things that they were doing at the beginning of the season. They had done done it the three games before the bye and had started to, you know, oscillate back towards being a fun offense again. So hopefully they roll that in out of the bye. But you know they're dying to come out and, you know, kind of avenge the way they lost that game uh, to Arizona for sure. Yeah, and I, I'm curious, like you said, the, the Chargers are much better defending the pass and the run, you know, is uh, – are, are the Bills going to get sucked into that? You know, hey, let's just run the ball on them. And, and I don't take... think they will. They never do. Yeah, yeah, I was going to say. Well, you know, for, for, <laughs> um, for, for a fun factor, you hope they don't. But if you're a Chargers backer, you definitely hope that maybe they'll rely a little bit more on the run game. Like I said, they probably won't. But um, it'll be curious to be curious to see how, how they uh, manage that. But, uh, yeah, that will be on my big screen. That's my favorite because I, I love the Chargers to play fun games. We, we talked about it in Buffalo. So. Uh, that will definitely be high on my list um, <laughs> for, for L.A. I mean, I just – the fact that they make uh, Kalen Balage even, you know, someone that you consider starting in your fantasy team just tells you that offense is playing really well because he's horrible. I mean, he's always been horrible. Um, and the fact that he's even, like, mentioned – uh, it just tells you something. So I can't wait for Eckler to come back because this, this offense is going to be just dynamite. I mean, you get Eckler back, um, some of those swing passes, they get the barrage where he gets tackled immediately. <laughs> and now you got Eckler out there. It's going to be, it's going to be really cool to see. Yeah, and when we look at this the game, I, I think we kind of are thinking about the Bills differently if that Hail Mary doesn't happen because they had a great drive to end that game. That uh, that route and, and the throw yeah. and catch by Stefan Diggs to 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 go ahead, that like we're we're thinking about the Bills completely differently if that's the game winner, uh, and not something that, you know, that offense had nothing to do with with the the Hail Mary. And they, you know, they, it was triple covered also. So they defended it, you know, quite well. Um so I, I think we're we're kind of a little, you know, thinking our view of the Bills is I think is a little depressed after that game, although they they played, you know, incredibly well. So oh, we'll see. And I think that they're, they're still doing a lot of, you know, those cool things we've saw on offense with the 10 personnel when they have that when, you know, John Brown's healthy. And I think that does make a big difference. Um, you know, I tweeted out, I think, you know, two weeks ago that I think Cole Beasley, uh, the percentage of plays with positive EPA, Cole Beasley was number one. I believe he's still number one right now by like a, a significant margin. Um, he had over, an insane game, that game against Arizona. He had a, a really bonkers game. He was actually in that game. Yeah, he's just <laughs> always open and he's such a, a great safety valve um, over, over the middle of the field and for you know, an offense that doesn't really rely on a tight end that often and doesn't really have a, a tight end who can, you know, get open and be that for um, a quarterback like Josh Allen. No, Cole Beasley is that guy, and, and he's just been able to, you know, win in the short middle of the field and, and also on, on some deep passes. Uh, but he's been able to kind of, you know, play that type of role uh, in that offense. And then when you have the guys like just Stefan Diggs uh, also on the outside, I think one of the other things we're, we're seeing more is Zach Moss, and I think it's pretty clear that, you know, Zach Moss just has – so much more uh, to offer uh, than um, than Devin Singletary uh, in that offense. So I think we're we're continuing to see Buffalo figure out what it's best at and and continue to move that. So I'm interested to see that going forward. Um, oh, one game I'm interested in just watching. I don't know if you guys have any uh, looks of, or of how you would bet this, or if you just stay away. But I, the Titans and Colts, uh, you know, a clash of you know. 
teams at the top of the, the AFC South. Uh, these are teams that, um, you know, have, have also, you know, figured out what they're doing well. This Colts defense is kind of, has figured out what it is. It's, you know, heavy zone coverage and, and they're using that to kind of, um, you know, also mix reads of, of what they're showing pre and post snap. And it's confusing some quarterbacks. You have Ryan Tannehill, who are really over the past couple of weeks, we kind of started to see that regression happen. We even saw it in the first half against Baltimore. Um, there was, horrible in the there first was, half of there was a point oh, where he was averaging goodness. like 2.9 yards per attempt. And I think I tweeted out at the time, like all of the regression is hitting at once. Um, and then they just kind of, you know, bounce back and you have AJ Brown doing AJ Brown things of just breaking 19 tackles um, when there, there's no possible way that he should be breaking the tackles and having the yards after the catch that he does. Um, they're still working the play action, but the offense has not been as explosive as it was earlier in the season. Um, even with, you know, that, that second half, um, of, of that Baltimore game. Uh, and then I think you have the Colts, you know, we talked about this earlier in the season where there were some like calls for benching Phillip Rivers, um, but he was never as bad as those were. And I think they've kind of figured that out. They, they've understood kind of how to get that intermediate open. And the return of Michael Pittman has been huge uh, the past couple of weeks. They're, they're really getting um, some of these, these corner routes open. He had that uh, one route uh, uh, last week where he just kind of floated uh, that, that corner to T.Y. Hilton and it, it looked like there was no arm strength at all, but all the accuracy was there and it was like a perfect pass. So that's how the Colts have kind of been working in their deep shot. So I just, I just find this a really fascinating game between the two teams that have been really good at, at what they're doing. I, I think right now the Colts probably have this, the stronger unit in both Um on both sides of the ball, you know, the, the, that Tennessee defense just hasn't really been able to stand up. So I think you probably see that's why they're, you know, three point favorites uh, right now. So uh, do you guys have uh, any, any looks at, at this game or is this something we should just kind of, you know, avoid and, and sit back and enjoy? Well, the Colts, I think when you look at exactly the Colts offense and where they're going to be good and where they're going to struggle, it's just any teams that can really apply pressure on Phillip Rivers. I mean, look at any, look at their losses, Cleveland, Baltimore, and you can throw out the, the opener against the, the Jaguars, but Philip Rivers has gotten hot for a reason. Packers, Titans, Lions, Bengals, no, none of those teams bring, have any type of pressure, bring any type of pressure. So Phil's been able to really get going. He's been awesome the past month outside of that Ravens game, which like I said, but you look at it, it's, it's, there's a clear corollary to, you know, how Phil's been successful, especially with the weaponry he's had. You know, Michael Pittman's coming along, but like it's a bunch of guys in that Colts offense. Like, literally just a bunch of guys. I mean, they have three tight ends that have half of their receiving touchdowns, and they're three tight ends that are just kind of – well, I think Moali Cox is, is better than the playing time he gets, but J- Trey Burton and Jack Doyle are, are, are just dudes. And, you know, uh, they've got half of their touchdowns uh, this season. And then you look at the remaining schedule, though, and it's Titans, Texans, Raiders, Texans. They got a game against the Steelers and the Jaguars. None of those teams can rush the passer either. So, I mean, the Colts here, like, they're going to be kind of geared up to do what they want to do. And the second half of that game against the Titans a couple weeks ago in Tennessee, uh, they just opened up the passing game in the second half of that game. They let Phil kind of come out and just do his thing, uh, and they kind of they kind of took control of that game. Uh, they did have a block punt for a touchdown, but it just kind of negated a full-on drive. They went all the way down the field and got stopped at the one-yard line uh, because they forgot how they got down there. Um, but I just look at this Colts team and how they're going to operate, and I just don't see a lot of resistance uh, from teams that can't really generate pressure on Phillip Rivers uh, right now because that is the clear thing that, that is the, their one bugaboo offensively. Yeah, and I mean, I'm not on either side here, but I know it opened up uh, you know, over three. Now it's trending down to three 
all the money and looks like all the public is on Tennessee, which is always um, dangerous, <laughs> I will say. But, um, you know, they, they did, they completely outplayed them two games ago. I was on the, I was on the Colts in that game when, you know, I was getting one and a half with the Colts and they, they end up closing as a one point favorite. Uh, but they completely outgained them four, 6.2 to 4.9 yards per play. I mean, Tannehill threw 4.6 yards per attempt. I mean, they they completely took it over in the second half. It was a Naheem Hines game. I mean, he was yeah. spending all the time in the backfield there, um, swing passes, et cetera. So um, I'm curious to see if they do that again. But, you know, the thing that's, you know, scary now is we saw uh, just before, you know, we started recording this is that DeForest Buckner is now on the COVID reserve list. I don't know if he tested positive or if he was close contact, but, you know, at this point, I'm not sure he can play. Um, that's a huge loss. I mean, he, he's their best defender, best defender outside of Darius Leonard. Um, he can put some pressure on, on Ryan Tannehill. So, so that could really hurt. I know there's some other injuries. I mean, even Philip Rivers has a toe injury. Uh, I'm sure it's fine because he doesn't run anyway, but you know, there's, there's enough out there, I think, um, that, can, that can really affect how the, how the Colts play this game. And, to, you know, historically, Mike Vrabel is very good when, when he's an underdog, especially, um, you know, when he's getting his team is getting three points or more. Uh, I think they're 11 and, 11 and four since 2018 uh, as an underdog. Um, they won a bunch of them outright. So this is kind of a spot that he relishes. And, you know, again, we consider home field to be negligible, maybe a point here or there. Um, because of no fans, et cetera, and, you know, lack of travel, really. You know, there's no travel or stamina issue here. Um, you know, for this line to go from, you know, it closed minus one uh, for the Colts uh, just a couple of weeks ago, and now it's, a, you know, like I said, three and a half. So you're getting, you know, you're getting an extra point maybe of, of value if you're a Titans backer. Like I said, I'm not going to take it um, just because it's, it's kind of scary that it's over three. Uh, that seems a little bit uh, aggressive and, you know, it kind of, you know, w- w- what uh, – what is everybody else seeing that we don't type of type of deal? But um, I think it's just come down to the wire. Uh, I'd be shocked if there's a blowout here uh, one way or the other. You know, the, the Colts aren't really built to blow teams out just because offensively they're pretty conservative. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, I, for whatever reason, the Colts have had the Titans number for the last couple of years. I mean, I think the, it's like 15 out of the last 20 that they've won outright. So for whatever reason, <laughs> they tend to play well against this, this Titans team, but um, should be should be a close one for sure. Yeah, it's just going to be interesting because this, you know, this Titans defense is just—it's really struggled everywhere. I think the the addition of Desmond King has helped a little bit in that secondary. Uh, I think Dory Jackson uh, is supposed to be coming back, uh, I believe, so that could help. Uh, but I don't uh, buy it till I see it. <laughs> right, that's that's like a thing really. that we've kind of you know heard that potentially, but you know, it is something we will you know have to see. But if he does come back, uh, that that will definitely help uh, that, that pass rush just, you know, ha- hasn't, hasn't been there uh, at all. all. All the swings they tried to take uh, on you know, whatever they were doing, you know, uh, Jadavian Clowney hasn't been there. You know, Vic Beasley is already gone. Um, that was a weird contract uh, to begin with. Um, and so uh, every, every swing they kind of took wasn't there. And uh, without uh, Dean Pease there, um, it's just that, that defense just, it hasn't clicked in the way it did last year. So uh, like Rich said, there, there's not going to be a lot of pressure there. They also have, been able to you know disguise coverages and i think that's something on top
top of the pressure that really worked against Phillip Rivers earlier in the season. I think that's something Cleveland did really well. Uh, that's something Baltimore does really well also. Um, it's just not something Tennessee has been able to do because they just haven't had the talent uh, to be able to do that. So I, that's really one of the places they've been able to struggle there. And, you know, Buckner, the, the loss of Buckner on that Colts defensive line is going to be a big to see if, you know, Tennessee can continue that, you know, pound the run game and play action. Because even when they've been down, they've kind of stuck to that formula. Uh, and when it, you know, hasn't worked, they, they haven't looked good. Uh, so we'll be able to see whether um, uh, the Colts can can keep that down uh, and kind of force Ryan Tannehill to be a little more of, of that play action uh, or that more straight drop back and not be able to rely on the play action. Cause you know, they've been able to get some pressure. You know, Justin Houston's playing well. Uh, Danico Autry uh, has played well. Um, so, so we'll, we'll see uh, some of those guys. Uh, I think if we're going to, you know, continue to go on to some of these games, um, you know, as we look, I think Chiefs Buccaneers really stand out as as a game that um, you know we mentioned at the, at the top of the show. But the Chiefs have you know, just been playing super well, and uh, you know it, it feels like they're playing these games in second or third gear, and that's been fine. And when they need to shift it into fourth gear, they they, they can do that, and that's when they turn it on. That's what they did in that final drive uh, against Las Vegas. But it just kind of seems like they've been able to handily control these these games in cruise control and they haven't really needed to uh you know turn it on and that's that's scary and then you look at tampa who and this is this team that we thought at one point was like the the most well-rounded team on offense and defense and they haven't been able to get as much pressure the coverage hasn't held up as well um and i mean i think we kind of know you don't blitz patrick mahomes and that's kind of all this tampa bay defense does and if you can't really hold up in coverage which they've struggled with a little bit over the past couple of weeks uh that has the potential to really get out of hand especially if that deep ball for the Tampa Bay offense uh, can't go and, and they can't, you know, go, go toe to toe in a shootout. So this could be a really interesting game. I mean, I'm on, uh, I'm on Tampa here getting the three and a half. Uh, again, I think it's an overreaction. Um, the line was, uh, I think the look, look ahead line was, was under three here um, for Kansas city. And, you know, the one thing about uh, Tampa is they've faced a ton of good defenses. I mean, they're 0-5, I think, against the top eight DVOA defenses. Um, and that's obviously given them trouble when you can get pressure on Brady and, you know, you're forcing him kind of uh, out of his normal game. There, He really struggles. And so we saw that um, last week. And now he gets – get the Kansas City defense has been okay. I mean, they're not very good against a run or better against a pass, but they haven't been great. They're kind of middle of the pack. Um, so I think they could be okay there. Um, but like the, some of the things that, that Arians is doing, like I thought they would incorporate a lot more of the new England um, style of offense, just a little bit to, to his downfield passing strat, uh, scheme. But, you know, that doesn't seem like they've been doing that. They don't have any running backs that can catch a ball. I mean, Ronald Jones can't catch. We saw Fournette drop, I think two or three balls on Monday night. And it's like, where do you get like that outlet that, that, you know, if it's, third and five and you want that, you know, that, that short quick pass to a running back. There's no James White out there for, for Brady. So I think he's really missing someone like that uh, to take some of the pressure. I don't know off. why they're not, how they can they not be playing Keyshawn Vaughn at this point? Yeah. The four, the four net receiving back angle that started about a month ago is, is one of the more peculiar, one of the more peculiar slants I've seen an offense take. <laughs> no, it, it's unbelievable. And so he can really <laughs> use something like that because, you know, there was one play where, um, you know, if you remember that, 
it was like a third and 15 at their own eight, right? I think the score, the score was within seven. So it was a tight game in the third quarter. And they dropped Brady back all the way into the end zone uh, against his pass rush. And everybody went deep. And it's like, what do you do? It's third and 15. You're not going to get the first down. The odds are really low. Why are you forcing it? And he gets hit. And luckily, they called it incomplete. I think he probably fumbled, but they called it incomplete. And they got lucky. They passed the ball or they punted the ball. But, you know, in a, in a situation like that, like that's where you just dump it off to a running back, get your seven, eight yards, and just punt and, and be okay with it. I hate to give up on a play like that, but you just have to in that situation. And, you know, for whatever reason, they're just trying to force it. And, you know, we've seen the stat for the last couple of days about, you know, what is Brady, like, oh, for his last 19 or something on, on downfield throws. You know, he keeps missing Antonio Brown, and they are force-feeding Antonio Brown. And I, he just doesn't, you know, obviously Antonio Brown's not the same guy as he was a couple of years ago. And I just don't know kind of what they're trying to do on offense. Um, hopefully they can figure things out against this Chiefs defense. Uh, but, you know, look, as great as Mahomes have been, they haven't faced many good defenses either. I think Denver and Baltimore, the two best defenses they face. So obviously he's going to tear up anybody. So it doesn't really matter. But, you know, it get, at least gets some sort of test here with this Bucks defense and the, and the speed on that defense too and the linebacking core. So I think they can keep it, you know, close enough to, uh, to cover the three and a half. And we've seen the Chiefs, you know, let down a little bit. You know, it's not like they've been dominant all year. I mean, they've could have, they, they they could have like three, you know, two or three more losses here, um, you know, against the Raiders, and um, you know they could have could have lost uh, earlier in the season against the Chargers and went to overtime. So you know they do let their guard down. There, it's not like they're the, the dominant team all the time. So um, I think there's plenty of opportunity here for Tampa to keep this uh, keep this game interesting and. Um, you know, maybe keep, as long as you're keeping Brady upright, you got a shot. Uh, and I don't think the chiefs, you know, Frank Clark hasn't been playing well this year. It's all Chris Jones essentially. So, you know, I think, um, Ali Marpet's going to play. Um, I know we practiced, uh, today, so, you know, him coming back, it will be huge. So, um, yeah, I just think this is an overreaction. I think this is a good spot for, for Tampa to cover a three and a half and should be, you know, we only have three, four o'clock games. So this probably is, uh, probably going to be the best one here. So, um, but I think that's the right side. Yeah, I mean, look at the three losses they've had. They've come back and scored with 30 points in every game, and the, the Chiefs have gotten paced, uh, uh, matched, matched the pace uh, by Teddy Bridgewater and Derek Carr here the last two games as well. So I think that the, the Bucks will punch back. I will say I think, the, I think the lore of the Bucks defense is a lot greater than how good it actually is. Uh, and especially of late, I mean, you look at this, the Rams team almost had 400, Rams had 400 yards in some, the Saints had 400 yards in some, the Giants should have outright beat them. They had 360 total yards of offense. And if Daniel Jones um, could, could look left at all, I mean, he had two walk-in touchdowns to Darian Slate and uh, the Raiders put up 350 total yards in some and was, were in that game all the way into the fourth quarter. I think that after the, that Packers game built up so much cachet, I think, for the Bucks defense that they're still riding, but they have not been remotely as close to as good as a defense as they were that Sunday uh, outside of the second half of that Carolina Panthers game, uh, you know, a, a couple weeks ago when Teddy gets knocked out of the game because they even give up 17 points right off rip in that game. Uh, I definitely think the lore of their defense is a lot is really carrying a lot of water for them. I definitely don't believe they're as good as people believe they are um, or how their early season stats, you know, played out. Um but, you know, the Chiefs are interesting. They're going to get Watkins back probably, which, which will help them. I think this is a, a back-and-forth game, high-scoring game. Because like I said, the Chiefs defense hasn't really played well of late either. And when they get pressed, I mean, they're, the Chiefs are a defense that's great when they're ahead. They have a great defense when they're, when they're up 10. 
and you don't have to worry about teams just, you know, because you can, you can grind out yards on the Chiefs, like, as much as you want and move the sticks on them. But then when they're up 10 and Spags is just dialing up blitz after blitz after blitz because then you have to keep dropping back and throw, that's when the Chiefs really get rocking and they get some of the, you know, uh, you know the defensive pressures, and that's when they're able to really turn it on defensively. Because per, from personnel stance, they're not, you know, outside of Tyron Matthew and, you know, uh, well, Snead got the start last week for the first time, which is, which is something that probably should have happened in Chris Jones. I mean, it's, it's a bunch of uh, glue guys um, that really, you know, you know, guys that don't really take over the game outside of those guys. So, I mean, that's the, if the Bucks can just keep it close and punch back early on in the game, I think it'll be a game that goes back and forth down to the wire. Um, but yeah, I'm definitely looking forward to that game. I think, I mean, I, I don't know where it'll, it'll settle, but I definitely believe that this is a game that there will not be a lot of punting. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I'd be <laughs> remiss if I didn't, I uh, feel like the token uh, Brady off a loss ATS record. Uh, oh, 30, yeah. <laughs> 33 and 12. I have to do that, right? That's my uh, part of my duty. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, he always bounces back. And they bounce back every time this year, like you said. So, not Does sure Bruce if Bruce Arians win. like Tom Brady? Do we get the vibe? Like, does, do you think that you think that Bruce Arians likes Tom Brady? It's amazing. I, I don't know, but I'm here <laughs> for every post-game press conference. I, I kind of love it. Just Bruce Arians just – it doesn't care. It's just is like it just throwing Brady we've never under seen the bus. Anyone, is it just because we've never seen him push back on Brady like that? Or do you think it's like, a, uh, you know, just Bruce Arians don't care? It's not, there's really not any ill will there. It's just, or like, yeah, like Brady just kind of doesn't, isn't his thing. Yeah. I, I, I don't know. And I don't really think it matters. I just think it's great. Yeah. Um, the, the dejected Bruce Arians press conference were just like, you know, there, there were reasons there and he's just, you know, missing throws. I don't see it in practice. He's not missing throws in practice, but in a game, he is. And, like, I, I don't know. It's amazing. I, one of the reasons you have to love the Bruce Arians. Um, and apparently, you know, it, the saying Tom Brady's not great, apparently not new. We, we saw the report uh, uh, with uh, Joe Judge. Apparently he's been – him and some other New England assistants have been going around saying the, the New England system is so good because, you know, the Brady couldn't make some throws and, and New England propped him up. Um, so <laughs> we're, we're seeing a lot come out about the Tom Brady. I'm not sure uh, a lot of it is true because, you know, he's been fine and Brady has, you know, struggled a lot. And I think one thing with that is uh, it, it's a lot of just like straight go routes uh, in this offense is something I'm working on for, um, you know, for just sharp football analysis. And, and it's not an arm I, strength thing. Like he's got plenty of, of arm strength. Yeah. I think it, it's a lot of kind of some, some low percentage throws. It's just straight, um, you know, it's straight go routes. I think Brady has the, the second highest uh, amount of, of go routes and Ben Roethlisberger has the first. Um, and those are just, you know, two guys that you shouldn't just be throwing straight go routes. If they're trying to go deep, you should probably have the receivers trying to break a little bit uh, to do a little more to create some separation. And that's just not happening. Um, and I, but I, I think you saw uh, earlier in the season um, that that couple games where Rob Gronkowski was really uh, getting going. There was a lot of, you know, Y cross. They were getting those intermediate uh, and deep crossing routes. And I think that's something they need to do a little more to kind of open it up and, and create a little more separation instead of just hoping uh, that these receivers can win one-on-one and Brady's going to get it there. Because we've seen when the deep pass has worked, you know, it's been fine. And overall, Brady's been, you know, about average in deep accuracy. Um we're on target percentage and that's a uh, per sports info solutions. He's, he's around middle of the pack. So he's been fine. Obviously there's been a lot of variance where he was really good to start the season and hasn't been as good uh, over the past couple of weeks. So we'll see where that goes. I think there's a, an adjustment that's needed 
all the way around. I don't think the scheme has helped him out much, especially on those deep passes. But I also don't think he's done enough um, to, to on some of that ball placement. Um, so, so that's something that I think really needs to uh, be worked out. And, and that's been part of what the the offense has held the offense back over the past couple of weeks. And that's one of the reasons I'm a little concerned about them being able to, to, um, to hang with, with the chiefs. What's um, interesting. Well, one thing I want to mention, and I look at every once in a while is on football outsiders, they have a variance um, a percentage and number. So essentially how, um, how consistent or inconsistent are you from a week to week basis in terms of your performance and not shocking, but Tampa is dead last. So they have the highest, most volatile game by game performance. I mean, one week they're just destroying Aaron Rodgers and the Packers the next week, you know, you're losing to Chicago and getting blown out by the saints. And so it's just kind of this up and down. So um, they are kind of ripe for, they, they could easily beat this Kansas city team and, you know, it'll kind of play along with the script that they, you know, that they're just kind of wildly inconsistent both ways. They either have great performances or really bad. So uh, that, that totally plays plays to the narrative. So you just never know what kind of team shows up here. Um, but uh, I'm, I'm betting on them showing up and uh, keeping this game close and uh, we'll see. Uh, we'll see how accurate that is, but uh, I, I am, I think that's for, for a four o'clock game, that's going to be a really good one. So, um, you know, it'd be interesting to see what happens there. Any other games you guys like this week? I mean, I think we've hit on on a lot of the the big ones. Um, anybody want to back uh, Carson Wentz after last week, or are we uh, are we completely off that train because he looked horrible against the Browns last week? I wish I could, uh, but I mean, you know, this is a spot where I've, I've listened. I, I love Seattle going east. It, it didn't work out last time uh, for the first time in a long time uh, when they lost to Buffalo. But, I mean, it, I still feel good about this. These teams, I mean, Russ has gone there. They went there twice last year and won. Uh, so, I mean, I mean, it's not a familiar – it's a familiar trip for Seattle. Um, they're also a team that's kind of regressed a little bit, but uh, they should get Chris Carson back for this game. If Wentz wasn't so bad against the Cowboys a couple weeks ago, I would say there's a glimmer of hope for me to latch onto and, like, maybe sell myself as pumping them up. And I think I, I wrote it up in the worksheet, just like, you know, we've chased all these quarterbacks against Seattle. and But, like, the fact that Wentz threw for less than five yards attempt against Dallas really gives me some pause uh, of say, thinking the Seattle defense can really uh, elevate him. But uh, if there ever was a week, man. Well, here, here's the thing. So kind of ducktailing into that, I, I posted an article today, a uh, betting preview, and I talked about the NFC East because I actually think – Believe it or not, I think the Cowboys are the best bet to win that division. At I think they're the favorite right now, right? Like oh, they're Dan, second. So well, Dan sent me something because uh, every time I submit the Giants game, I send Dan a, a blurb on the Giants. And I told him the table set this week for the run. Uh, you know, it and looks by, like yeah, Gio, and by football outsiders, the, the Giants yeah. have uh, the highest odds to uh, to win the NFC East. Yeah, um, Gio Bernard might not play, so you might have Brandon Allen, Samaje P. Ryan. Uh, the, the battery, the backfield battery. Well, here's the thing. So uh, just looking at the DraftKings Sportsbook, and I've looked at one or two others. So the Eagles are plus 155 to win the division. Dallas is plus 250. Giants are plus 325. Washington's plus 425, okay? Now, here's an interesting thing. We know the Eagles are a half, half game ahead because of that tie. But if you look at DVOA and you look at kind of the, the future schedule. We um, talked about their schedule. There's just, man, whew. 
Yeah, Philly's the third toughest, but you look at Dallas is 29th, and the, yeah. and, uh, the Giants are 24th, Washington is 11th. And I, I dug a little bit further. I mean, it, it's actually easier because easier than that number because, you know, for Dallas, they play, for example, San Francisco, which is probably, you know, more highly ranked in, than you would think uh, by DVOA. But, you know, depending on who's quarterback and, you know, who comes back for, for the, the Niners, you know, that they're not as good. They're not going to be as good mm-hmm. as their numbers say. And then they also play Dallas plays Cincinnati. And again, Cincinnati is not going to be as good without Burrow. So you're actually getting a little bit easier schedule than what um, what is even listed here. So I think from that perspective, uh, Dallas looks good. Then you look at – I just went through and I said, you know, what do I think the spreads will be? They're not going to be – they're probably going to be favored in at least two to three games. They may be favored in all of them. There's a chance they could be favored in the rest of them. But either way, they're not going to be an underdog by more than a, you know, a field goal to anybody. Um, whereas some of these other teams, like Philly plays some really tough teams. Um, I mean, the Giants have, have a, a couple tough games there. But I, I think Andy Dalton's kind of settled things down a little bit. Um, their offensive line is way better than it was a couple of weeks ago when it was just completely battered. You got Zach Martin, who they moved the right tackle. I think that was a really smart move. He's been dominant in the last couple of games. I mean, they've allowed um, only three sacks and 22 pressures on 78 dropbacks in the in the last two games, and that was against you know the Steelers, number one in the NFL, and the Vikings, who who's not you know they don't rush the passer very well. But in general, they've done a good job of protecting Dalton, and we know they have by far the best weapons in that division. You know, Dalton might be the best quarterback, to be honest, uh, right now in that division. The defense is playing well. I mean, in the last uh, five, in the last three games, um, they're 10th at EPA per play allowed on defense. You know, again, they faced the Vikings and the Steelers, so a couple of really good teams. And turnovers, which was, you know, I know, Dan, you guys wrote about kind of the luck factor early on in the season, halfway through. You know, the Cowboys were just not getting any takeaways. They're just getting decimated from a – Zeke was fumbling once a game. <laughs> exactly. And you look at, so the first, the first seven games, they gave the ball away 16 times and only generated three takeaways, right? The last five games, uh, or sorry, the last four games, six takeaways and only five giveaways. So essentially back to a 50, 50 split, which is kind of where you need to be to at least have a shot to win some of these games. So I think, you know, between, you know, some of that, that the bouncing of the ball regressing, you're getting uh, a better defensive performance. Um, offensive line is getting healthier. Dalton's at least, you know, you know, decent enough to, to get balls, get the ball to the, to your weapons. I think they're the the clear favorite to me to win this division. So I, I'm taking them at plus 250 um, to win the division. Now, again, t- tomorrow is going to really tell a lot because if they lose that game, then it's really going <laughs> to smash uh, expectations. But if they win, if they can get by Washington, that's a huge game uh, for them. Um, and I think they, they've got a shot to <laughs> to be hosting a, uh, a playoff game and, and Jerry's going to be uh, – you know, Ready celebrating up in the box, but I, uh, I think they might have a shot here to to kind of run away with this thing. And, and what do you think, uh, Dan? You've obviously seen this division up close and personal. I mean, the Giants are playing well, but um, you think uh, you think the Cowboys are the best team uh, going forward? Or what are your thoughts on that? I've seen way too much of this division. <laughs> um, it's, it's too much more, more than more than anyone should. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm kind of with you on on Dallas probably still being the best team and it probably should be the favorite. I, I think we saw the bar for the Dallas offense to be good. It's just like throw something in the general vicinity of CD lamb and it's going to be okay. Oh, that catch was and <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I, so I, I tweeted this out during the game. I thought that the bar for this, uh, for this offense to be good was to throw an accurate pass to CD lamb. And the bar is actually just throw, throw in his general vicinity. <laughs> it doesn't even have to be that accurate. Um, and, you know, for a while, the 
Cowboys just, they couldn't do that. They couldn't even get it into the vicinity of, of CeeDee Lamb. So I think you see that. I think we we saw a little bit of oh, what this offense can do if just like, Dalton just has to play okay. He can play below average and the, the receiving core is good enough that it can, you know, sustain and be good. Those are three really good receivers. Um, we even saw, you know, Ezekiel Elliott you know, played fine, like his first game where he kind of looked like whatever the, you know, ideal version of Ezekiel Elliott is the thing that, you know, a lot of people who or, you know, prop up Ezekiel Elliott think he is. Um, we, we've seen some, you know, Tony Pollard long run. So I think we're, we're starting to get there. And, and the talent on the defense is, you know, it, it was always a talented group that just looked like it had no idea what it was doing. And I think they've kind of started to figure out what they're doing, or at least just the talent has won out. And, and it's talent over scheme right now. Um, and, and just, you know, Demarcus Lawrence is, is playing like Demarcus Lawrence should. Um, the, the, the linebackers are playing a little better. I think uh, Shadobi Wuzier played uh, better. I think that helped uh, the secondary, even with, you know, Trevon Diggs out. And, you know, he was a guy that was, you know, super high variance. He was either, you know, getting uh, a pass defense or getting beat completely um, on, on a on a long touchdown. So I, I think it's been a lot that's going on. And I think the Giants, it's so much about, you know, whatever Daniel Jones is. I think we're, we, we propped him up after, you know, two games. I think we talked about the last podcast, two games without a turnover. And we're saying, oh, the, the Giants offense has figured it out. But when, you know, you're, you're taking two game, a two-game sample without a turnover and saying he's playing the best stretch of his career, like that, that says a lot about what the offense is. Um, and that could turn at, at any second. So it is playing a little better. I think, you know, kind of like we said about the, the Miami defense where last year it was doing a lot of cool things that didn't have the talent. That's kind of what um, the, the Giants are right now. And they have Patrick Graham, who was the defensive coordinator uh, of Miami last year. So they are doing some cool things and they're playing way above their talent level right now. Um, I think uh, James Bradbury did not practice uh, on Wednesday. That would be uh, huge if he's not able to. I think they said it wasn't injury related, uh, but not sure if he's going to be able to be back. I mean, that's huge. He's been one of the best cornerbacks in the league. I, this so, week, it's not going to matter. Yeah. <laughs> Right. <laughs> um, we'll, we'll see. I mean, they, I, don't know. I will say this. Brandon Cincinnati Allen, still has good receivers. So I, I will I say this about Brandon Allen compared to Ryan, Ryan Finley, though, is that at least with Brandon Allen, like he's going to just step into it. Like he's not going to be hesitant. Like he's just going to throw the ball downfield and not care. Whereas Finley's just completely terrible. Yeah, and, and why the hell not? If you have you know guys like Tyler Boyd and, and T. Higgins, and T. Higgins, we saw Joe Burrow trusted as a guy like, I don't care if this dude's covered. I'm, I'm just going to throw to him, and I, I trust T. Higgins to come down with it. So if you have that, I think we even saw that with like Joe Flacco and the Jets. His like YOLO ball actually kind of worked out. I mean, it had some ugly passes, but when you're throwing to Bashad Perriman and Denzel Mims and, and you're just throwing deep, you know, why not? So maybe that's something that works out. Uh, we've been talking about the NFC East for way too long uh, again, but um, it's it's going to be, you know, interesting. And like you said, the, the Thursday game, and some of you might be listening to this afterward, uh, so this might not even matter. But yeah, if Dallas can win that game, I think they kind of are set up uh, to be, you know, not what we expected earlier in the season. Um, but I think they do have some of the talent that, I think they're still clearly the most talented team in this division, even with the, the quarterback. And I think if, if Dak Prescott was healthy, um, you know, this team would be running away with, with this division. We wouldn't even have to be thinking about whether the, the Giants or Washington or, or Philly could pull it out um, because they just having Dak would be you know so much better than anything else um, in this 
you know, it, it's sad for the other NFC East teams that without Dak Prescott, Dallas can still be hanging around uh, because Dallas is the team that's going to get better in the future. And I think that's one of the interesting things looking for, you know, how the NFC East goes forward and how these teams kind of view themselves right now. Because, you know, I've followed a lot of Giants beats writers. They're, they're all like talking about how, you know, this is, you know, morale boosting for the Giants, but like, you're still three and seven, you're still a bad football team. And this other team in your, your division is going to get like a top five quarterback back next year. So I, I don't know how these teams are kind of setting themselves up. So uh, like I said, we're talking way too much about the NFC East for, I think, a, a second straight episode. So uh, if any of you made it through to the end and the end of discussion, <laughs> thank you guys. Uh, we appreciate uh, you listening, but on that note, I think we're going to uh, end the podcast here. Um, you know, remember, you can find uh, the, all of our work on Sharp Profile Analysis. Uh, if you have not signed up for anything, if you're not like reading Rich's uh, worksheet with the Fantasy Package, you can get 35% off uh, with the code SHARP35. Um, so please uh, read Rich's worksheet. The, the amount of uh, effort and, and detail that goes into that every week uh, just continues to uh, blow me away. And you can follow Rich on Twitter at Ward Reeves. Uh, like TA said, he's got a betting preview up for this week. You can follow him on Twitter at Cleve TA. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Dan Pizzuta. Thank you guys for listening. Uh, have a great holiday. Uh, please stay safe and we will talk to you again soon. I'm not going to